0: This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. This podcast is powered by the Indiana Municipal Power Agency. Since 1983, IMPA has provided 61 municipal utilities in Indiana and Ohio with low-cost, reliable, and environmentally responsible power. I'm Lee Llewellyn. My guest today is Ashley Eason. Uh, Vice President for Programs and Services for the International Center. So, Ashley, thanks for being here. Thanks, Lee. So, international engagement is critical to economic development. According to the Indiana Economic Development Corporation website, in 2017 there were over 800 foreign owned business facilities in Indiana. And Select USA indicates that majority foreign owned companies employ over 193,000 Hoosiers. Foreign direct investment in Indiana communities and exporting of Indiana goods is really critical to the state's economic livelihood. But I think Hoosiers are often reluctant to engage with individuals from foreign countries because they may be concerned that they'll embarrass themselves because of language and cultural differences. And so in not engaging, they may be missing some critical economic opportunities. So I've asked Ashley to talk today about how economic developers can prepare themselves for international visitors and for trips abroad, and how the International Center can assist in those preparations. So, Ashley, I identified some of the economic impacts of global trade on Indiana. From the perspective of the International Center, why is international so important to Indiana's economic well-being?
1: Sure. Thank you, Lee. Um, that's a great question, and, and from my perspective, it's that it's essential. Uh, international is already a key component of our economic well-being and will continue to be even more so essential uh, to what we do in the future. Uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce um, likes to share the statistic that 95% of the world's population lives outside of our borders. Uh, That is a huge market Uh, when we think of ourselves as a country We tend to think well, we can take care of everything ourselves. We have everything we need here Um, And in some cases that may be true, but uh, when it comes to economic growth uh, Our market isn't just here, Uh, but also our future uh, High-tech employees aren't just here Uh, and so um, It's going to become increasingly Uh, important for our businesses to engage internationally and that's for customers that's for investors for talent to grow our businesses Uh, we will eventually tap out of the market here Uh, and so why not think about it now why not think about it when times are good and we have a moment to uh, reflect and consider other opportunities Um, we talked about this when we met uh, a couple weeks ago but there's more than eighty thousand open jobs in our state. Uh, even if we do increase the education and high tech uh, skill sets of our current population, we may not be able to meet or fill those jobs, especially when we continue to add more um, from investors, both domestic and abroad. And so, in it becomes increasingly important for us to, to be prepared to engage internationally. Uh, it's not an option uh, for us to compete.
0: So, you made a, a, a point there uh, just a minute ago in talking about when companies are thinking about exporting, uh, that it's a, it, it's a way for them to diversify their markets and their customer base, but oftentimes, um, they don't start thinking about that until they see a domestic downturn mm-hmm. uh... And, and i think one of the things that uh... W- that becomes important is the time to really start thinking about that and and we'll talk about why that is probably as we go along but the time to start developing those relationships is really not when you're in a crisis mode but really when things are going good why right. is that
1: well you know here in the u.s um, there are fewer barriers for us to do business with each other. Uh, there may be a you know a few cultural barriers for us doing business with you know folks on the coast. Uh, we may be annoyed with you know cultural nuance from different parts of our own country, uh, but typically we can come to an agreement pretty quickly, uh, whether that's investment or you know an employee or a market that we're trying to sell to. Uh, when you add uh, international and cultural differences, uh, one of the big key things that uh, is a barrier is that relationships take more time. Uh, Relationship building is a key component for most other cultures to do business. Uh, Where here, uh, we'll do business and maybe the relationship comes along with it, which is a nice perk, but it's not required. Uh, But in a lot of other cultures, as I said, uh, that relationship is the crucial thing that must happen before they're prepared To do business with you Uh, they want to know who you are they want to know who your company is they want to understand your culture uh, and they will put the effort in uh, and if if we as hoosiers or our companies or our communities are not prepared to put that effort in they'll go somewhere else they'll find someone else to work with
0: so that's in the context of one of the things that we talked about in preparation for for this podcast was you know what are those things that uh, uh, people should not take for granted as they're going into other cultures or as they're interacting and again it's about that assumption that because I've done business you know for maybe a long time in the United States that somehow all of that just automatically translates so so how do we create or, or if someone is thinking about Uh, engaging with either someone coming to visit or they're going someplace else how do you help them develop that context for what they should not take for granted
1: sure Um, thinking about what not to take for granted is a really great approach to this and i'm actually going to start with what i will not recommend Uh, i will not recommend that someone get online and google top ten do's and don'ts for that specific country or culture Uh, You can do that. There is a lot of information available online. Um, However, it's missing context. It's missing nuance. It's missing self-awareness and the assumptions that I hold. Um, I myself have a lot of assumptions about what behavior means. Uh, We do this every day when we interview people. (laughs) I, I have my own assumptions of, well, if they have a strong handshake and they give me direct eye contact then they must be confident and trustworthy and telling me the truth. Um, That doesn't always translate into other cultures. There may be other ways that they demonstrate confidence or trustworthiness. Uh, So a lot of the work we do is helping Hoosiers uh, and their companies identify what those assumptions are so that we can kind of take them out of our, our mindset when we're approaching a new culture. Uh, I don't want to assume what a handshake means because in many cultures, it's a soft handshake that's appropriate. And if someone came into my office who is a Hoosier to interview with me and I didn't get a sense that they were from another culture, but they gave me a soft handshake, I have all kinds of assumptions start lighting up uh, in my head that may or may not be correct. Uh, So when when we're working across cultures, uh, it's thinking about behavior a little bit differently. Uh, we use behavior and language to express our values, but other cultures express the very same values but with different behavior and language. Um, and we learn these things. We learn how to behave. I myself, you know, through my professional career, have learned how to uh, behave in a way that will give me access, will give me that next interview, that will uh, build a relationship with a key stakeholder. But I have to do it differently when I'm engaging abroad. Another thing we talk a lot about with these clients we work with is that it, we're not suggesting that you change your identity. Uh, that's, that is a fear that comes up sometimes. You know, well, this is who I am. I am a strong handshake. I am direct eye contact. I am, uh, you know, gladly handing my business card right in their face immediately. Uh, we we ask folks to consider um that actually you are your values the value is respect and the value is uh, being trustworthy the value is uh, kindness and considering that maybe that person would receive those values in a different behavior i can i can shake hands a little differently that's okay uh it may feel weird the first few times but a lot of the work we do really is about building awareness and helping us be aware about myself, about my own assumptions, my own uh, biases the the way I think about how I'm communicating uh, that i maybe I could be open to a different way of sharing that same value with my customer, with my client
0: so So part of that then is the awareness of it's still about uh, I'm communicating. I want to make sure that I'm communicating my values or my personality, but I have to be aware of, um, of how that, how I communicate that is going to be perceived by the other person. That I think mm. that strong handshake is my way of communicating uh, my confidence and my trustworthiness, but it may not be interpreted that that's, that's really what I'm communicating because of how, how uh, the cultural differences will be perceived. Right. Okay. Well so so uh, we always worry about language. Um, we worry about you know, just just the language differences just in terms of just a, a, a different language. But uh, one of the things that, that we, all f- we we talk about sometimes though is even words that we're using or that we're hearing uh, can, can be communicating very differently. So, for example, yes does not always mean yes in the way in which we think of yes right so how 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 does that play out
1: well you know what's funny is i would argue that that might be true in our own offices here in indiana sometimes i have to realize that just because my colleague my supervisor my team member says yes what does that mean does it mean yes got your instructions i'm on it Does it mean, yes, uh, I will deliver that by a certain time? Or does it mean, yeah, I heard you, but I'm actually gonna slow walk that request and uh, you're gonna have to come back to me to ask me to deliver it. Uh, It's even more complex when we're working across cultures. In some cultures, saying yes uh, just means I agree. Or it could just mean, I heard you. I understand your proposal where if if i'm a hoosier business person sitting in that uh, professional meeting and i hear yes i might think great we got a deal and i might go back to my company here in indiana and say we're good we got a deal it's coming but what actually happened in that meeting is they said that's really interesting thanks for your proposal um another piece is that some cultures uh won't say no, but they mean no, or they mean definitely not yet. And because they won't say the word no, uh, our our representatives may not even hear that there's an issue, that there's a problem, that there's something that will derail this decision, this deal. And it that's a very simple. I guess example of all this but it's crucial <laughs> and it's not the only example that's just the one of the more obvious ones um, there's other ways we use language um, and w- again you'll see this across different regions of the US uh, you know I grew up in Texas and my dad is from the south originally and so when someone says bless your heart that's not a nice thing to say, but if you only know the words then it may sound quite nice um, But when working across cultures, we need a guide We need someone to help us understand what that nuance is to understand where we need to keep digging where just because they used words directly that doesn't mean they're in a simple definition Um We talk about this in the sense of direct and indirect cultures. Uh, In the Midwest, typically, we're very direct. It means the words I use mean what they mean, and what I say is what I mean, and you don't have to read between the lines. Now, there can be some arguments about the Midwest. There may be a little bit of that passive-aggressive, you know, behind-the-scenes stuff, but generally, especially in a workplace, we try to foster communities that if I say those words, you can trust them and that's what they mean in some cultures in many cultures uh, the words are just the beginning there's a whole context around uh, what I mean when I say something so as we were discussing yes and no yes might have hundreds of meanings including I agree or I've heard you or that's an interesting proposal thanks for delivering it to us Um, without that understanding we have the uh, risk of going into conversations and misinterpreting just very simple words because we think oh we can take them at the face value of that word
0: so uh, another thing i think that becomes one of those uh, cultural differentiators is just the whole concept of time Uh, how how we think about time how others treat time uh so how how is time sort of that that fungible uh, uh concept as we go from one culture to another
1: Sure Well I guess maybe I'd I'd ask a question back to you Lee what does it mean to be on time in the Midwest
0: <laughs> Well I think it's starting to mean a lot of different things but um if, for me, being on time means that if I tell somebody I'm gonna be somewhere at 10 o'clock, I try to be there 9.50 or 9.55 mm-hmm. to be a little bit early because I think that's, that's just courtesy.
1: Right, and you probably thought about, okay, this is what it usually takes me to get downtown, uh, but I'm gonna buffer an extra five minutes just in case traffic is bad, so that even with scenarios that may take place that morning, you're still early technically right um i find that to be true as well and um if you're not going to be a few minutes early i feel the need to send a text message or a phone call to the person i'm meeting with to apologize to say i'm so sorry i've wasted your time and I, i i'm on my way um a sense of urgency seems to be rewarded here uh it's appreciated so if if you're in very good example you arrived early this morning and it is very appreciated because i'm prepared and ready to start our meeting at, at 10 o'clock um, in other cultures uh, time means something very different uh, it's more fluid here in the u.s time is money you know we set meetings for an hour we hope that they last 45 minutes depends on your company but it could you know vary greatly but uh, generally in the most efficient companies you know your hour technically means 45 minutes and you better get through the agenda uh, or at least that's the aspiration Um, in other cultures often time uh, is fluid there's always more time Uh, having a meeting is focused not just on deliverables and objectives and getting through an agenda it's focused on the relationship and so and and i would argue that that's not a good or a bad thing they they may be just as productive when it comes to revenue or when it comes to efficiency but they're focusing on the relationship to build the partnership for that business Um, they always feel like there's more time so a meeting can run late a meeting can start late Uh, it's more that we are going to have a connection that day, then there is a meeting from 10 to 11 o'clock. The other piece of this is this is one of the ways that they show you respect. They are dedicating very valuable time. It's not that they see time as less important or less valuable or less tied to revenue as we do. It's that they are allocating a lot of precious time to you your company to the relationship between your companies uh or between your countries and i i actually think there's something really beautiful about that and
0: so, so does that really? when you talked earlier about uh, the importance of building trust does does part of that that time relationship contribute to that trust building
1: absolutely um it is it's something that y- you can't produce without relationships. Uh, It's not something you can sell them, you know, in a marketing tool or on an email. Uh, It's something that happens when people engage face-to-face and see how they respond to questions and talking about things in some cultures that are about your family. Who are you as a person that matters to them when they're doing business with you? Who is your family? Where did you go to school? Uh, th- those things happen here in the Midwest too. It becomes important, but it's not often the first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it is, it's just okay. Five minutes of that, and then we're moving on to the agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a lot of cultures, building that relationship is an investment in the long-term success of your business partnership. Uh, and I, I, my sense is that many of those relationships and business partnerships produce longer term partnerships and results you know here in the u.s we build a relationship we make a deal but it's okay if it's just that one deal there's not a you know there's typically no hard feelings about it i don't necessarily expect repeat business from every client Uh, but in other cultures they're building a long-term strategy that goes beyond this quarter's you know earnings report
0: and so that so that seems to me that when you're talking about it seems to me that we we may tend to be more transactional Mm. um, in in some of our uh, domestic interactions right where, where they're really looking at so you've talked about and you've used the word relationship many times so that there is much more of almost a personal in addition to the transactional and the personal seems to come really first before we get to the fact that we feel comfortable making that sort of transactional mm-hmm. connection is that fair
1: i would say so not in again not in every culture right. around the world but many and, and the, perhaps the ones that we're most uncomfortable engaging with um if we're not familiar with them
0: well, and again, I think we were we started this, we started the conversation about uh, uh, assumptions and about mm-hmm. not making assumptions and about making sure of the context. So it's not about assuming that every culture is going to be like that, but it's about not starting the interaction by assuming that the way we do things is going to be universally accepted.
1: Right.
0: So uh, the, the one thing, the other thing that I think people agonize, and certainly before my first visit to, to Japan many years ago uh food was something that i just when i was preparing for the trip i just agonized over (laughs) the whole idea of of eating in japan uh it was both the it was the difference in uh in the kinds of foods in the way that foods were prepared but then also utensils uh so you know when we think about that uh, how how should again when we're whether it's visitors whether we're visiting, how do we begin to approach just the idea of food because it's so it's just so central to to cultures uh, is the the kinds of food that we eat and the way in which we eat it. So how do we prepare for that?
1: Wow, it is and it's so tied to our identity. Uh, I, I'm from Texas. Every time I share that with someone, I often get asked, "Oh, so you must really love." brisket or you must really love tex-mex and yes absolutely i do uh
0: but they shouldn't necessarily make that assumption
1: true what if uh, i'm vegetarian right that's that's a possibility so, so
0: again we're back to this whole conversation about assumptions
1: right so with food i think um what we try to uh, impart with our clients is that it's a wonderful tool to connect. When we talk about building relationships, food is how we connect here. You know, our major holidays, they all have a food component. Thanksgiving, Christmas, 4th of July, you probably had a, a, you know, a grill outside and, and potato salad and hot dogs. Um, you know, there's traditional foods here in the US for all kinds of holidays and cultural events. Um, Every time I attend a cultural event here uh, in Indiana, there's pretty much going to be food, even if it's from another country. Um, It is, it's the thing all of us need every day. And so it's a wonderful way to bond. Um, There's something really special about sharing a meal with someone. uh, And that is, it's the thing I would tell folks to never uh, avoid it. Don't shy away from it. It, I honestly, I've not been to Japan or to China, and I would be nervous about the food. I'd be nervous about what uh, I might have served to me because I want to show respect. How do I do that if I'm either afraid or uncomfortable or, oh, that tasted bad, I don't want to eat it? Uh, It it is kind of, it's a tough one. However... um, I think attitude is what's most important uh, and generosity. And so, you know, sometimes I'll just be transparent with my host to say, I want you to know I'm really excited about this, but I have never tried any of this food. Can you help me? Can you help me understand what it is? I want to try it, but I want to try it and understand you know, when do you normally eat this food? Is this associated with the holiday? Is this a delicacy or is this, you know, everyday street Mm -hmm. food? Um, Tell me more about it. Help me understand it. Tell me stories about is this something your family has, you know, at special meals or celebrations uh, and teach me the right way to eat it. It's the same thing if someone uh, was, you know, an international student here in Indiana. There's something so fun about, taking them to have a pork tenderloin for the first time Uh, and I'll be honest I moved to Indiana two and a half years ago and that was one of the things we did on my very first trip here is okay (laughs) where do we got to go I I hear that the pork tenderloin is what I'm supposed to eat Um, it's the same principle uh, when you're visiting another country and I think most people will be uh, amazed at how generous your host will be they know (laughs) they're actually on their edge of their seat trying to hope that they don't make you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, they're probably very proud of their own pork tenderloin, whatever it is, and they want to share that part of their identity with you. And so um, it's the thing that I, I agree, it makes a lot of people really nervous, myself included, Um, But it's also one of the best ways to demonstrate that you're interested in them, you're interested in their culture, and you're willing to try it. You don't have to like it. It's okay. (laughs) If it makes you sick, you know, it makes you sick. Or if it doesn't taste good, that's okay. Um, Learn about the culture to know if uh, saving face is a, a high value for them. So you might say, that's really delicious but not you know elaborate and maybe you don't finish it so they hopefully they don't ref- refill your plate if you finish it in some cultures <laughs> they will bring you more <laughs> so mm-hmm. if you don't like it maybe you don't finish it or there's other cultures you know if you do some advanced preparation you know yeah finish your plate and you're not at risk for a uh, for additional
0: so, so, again, there are, there are so many things that are obviously nuanced uh, from one culture to the next, and, and the reason that you and I are having this conversation today is that we really want to highlight how can the International Center be of service to people as they are, are contemplating, mm-hmm. especially if, they're, if they are, are going to be interacting with a specific culture they're having visitors perhaps it's someone who uh, is coming from a country that has that ownership in their community and they they want to make sure that they're um, showing the appropriate respect or they're preparing for that international visit how would they reach out to uh, what could they come to the international center for to to provide that kind of assistance
1: great so the work that we do uh, it it's all customized. Um, we know that not every, you know, individual or company has the time to get a PhD in the culture that they're engaging with, and we don't expect that, and neither should any of you. Uh, however, I- as we've been talking throughout this whole uh, conversation, it's about recognizing some of the assumptions that we have that maybe we shouldn't. Uh, it's it's a little bit about knowing your audience. That is a, a U.S. business uh, mainstay. Know your audience. Know your audience when you're sending an email. Know your audience when you're in a you know an in-person meeting with them. Know your audience when you're marketing your products to them. Um, it's the same idea. And so doing a little bit of investment of time, and that could be, Uh, from us it could be a briefing material uh, about that culture it could be an in person briefing conversation uh, where we'll customize it so if it's you know hey we're I'm the mayor of a small town we're going to meet with our sister city in another country but while we're there we may meet with some potential you know investors that may want to come to Indiana we'll tailor the conversation to that you don't need to know everything uh, you may just need to know how to sit in a professional meeting and how to greet people. Um, you may need to think about, are they gonna take me to dinner and should I be prepared for that? Uh, it, it's also, there's opportunities if you um, are in economic development, you may be working with a really wide variety of stakeholders in your community. And maybe you're already culturally sensitive and have traveled uh, or have, ga- have engaged abroad. Uh, but that doesn't mean everyone that's engaging with, for example, a foreign investor, uh, there may be a whole spectrum of experience. That's everything from, you know, studied in a foreign country to, I've never left Indiana, uh, and that's that's not a good or bad thing. That's just a, a level of exposure and experience. and And we can provide a briefing. We can provide, um, you know, a consultation. With that wide spectrum, and it's it's a conversation. It's about let's identify some of the assumptions that some of us might have that would be a barrier to building a connection with this particular person, client, or or culture. Uh, we offer a couple of public opportunities uh, to engage with us and to engage with kind of our broader network. That's businesses, it's government, it's uh, other nonprofits, it's academics, uh, and. We do a public workshop called Engaging Across Cultures. Uh, we offer it a few times a year. Uh, it's here in Indianapolis. Uh, it could be replicated in your town if you're interested. We're all we're available to do that. But it is it's that kind of engaging across cultures with your peers from other industries uh, with varying experiences where you're just sharing, you know, what you've learned and what assumptions you've had to break down with a facilitator. With some, you know, basic framework about cultural differences, and then we also include a panel discussion with, uh, whenever possible, three expats that have come from other cultures that live here in Indiana. Uh, they've had to navigate it the reverse direction and understand Hoosier culture, uh, but they have so much insight for us about how can a Hoosier do well when engaging with other cultures and. And what should we know? Things that I wouldn't even necessarily know to share. They bring a lot of expertise. Uh, We also offer a program uh, typically once a year called Leadership Across Cultures. That is taking the concept of cultural awareness, not just for everyday engagement, but for um, leading. Because if you're leading a team, uh, it could be in a company here that's domestic, but you are engaging with people in multiple time zones around the world multiple countries. Maybe you're responsible from here in Indiana for the operations in South America or in Asia. Uh, There's some tools that we can provide to you that go a little bit beyond uh, self-awareness and go towards how do I impact my behavior to be successful. Uh, It's not just you know let me understand everything about the other culture. It's how do we find common ground? How do we build bridges? uh, So that where we do have cultural differences, they're not a barrier to us they're something that we can build something even better perhaps um and i think for the the advice i typically give is that this is a practice this is not a, you know there's not a phd that will equip you to be successful in every culture you engage with forever uh, this is uh, developing your own attitudes reducing your own assumptions and, and it's it's putting yourself out of your comfort zone all the time. And the more you do it, I think the more fun it gets. Uh, when you realize, it, and I would say every culture I've engaged with, I realize I have a lot to learn. Uh, I realize, oh, I, nope, that's another assumption I'm still hanging on to about how to behave. And when we can step out of our comfort zone regularly, uh, it, it makes us better people, I think. Uh, and. You know that for me, that's enough. But I know in economic development, it, there's a business reason for this. It makes you more effective. It, it increases the number of relationships you build, which increases your network, which increases your potential customers, your potential partners, and investors. Um, so there is a strategic reason to do this. Uh, but I think most people find that there's a lot of uh, personal satisfaction that they get when they build those connections and it, it's not as hard as uh, we've all imagined it is
0: and I think that I think that's probably uh, that, that critical piece I think it's once it's that first time that's probably the the most uh, the first time with any new culture is the most sort of fraught because you don't know what to expect and you you don't know what you don't know Mm -hmm. and and going through and building a little bit of that confidence and understanding some of those things um, helps take some of that fear down and then you know once you have made that connection the first time Uh, and and you survive and (laughs) if you're lucky you thrive and you make some of those connections then I think it does help you know I think it's a cumulative process so what have we not talked about that you that you feel you need to talk about and and how does someone then reach out to engage with the International Center
1: I think the last thing I would say is that it it starts with all of you listening to this podcast um taking small steps and not as i said it's not a phd it it could be just opening your mind to one other culture that you're engaging with already uh, most of the things i've learned about culture i have learned through mistakes <laughs> i have learned through embarrassing myself uh, thankfully i didn't die <laughs> i didn't uh, destroy any companies or relationships but uh, i've messed up a lot and it's funny because when we pull a workshop you know group of speakers together it's often story after story of of how we messed up but what we learned from it and that instead of just oh i guess we can't do business in that country it was yeah i totally messed up that time and then i learned from it and the next time let me tell you what actually happened and it was successful and now we have a thriving business there Mm um i you know, one of the folks that we've worked with that has done business with several companies in the UK uh, talks about that it took him working for three different companies from the UK before he understood that email culture was different in the UK than the US. Uh, and that's something, well, well, hey, it's the UK. We speak. We all speak English. Well, guess what? There's cultural differences. And if you want to be successful doing business, uh with your counterparts there are working for uh, that company um things like putting you know making email formal and making it more of a letter uh, and p.s you better read the whole email because maybe there's a line in there that says hey ashley you're gonna do this project and it's due this day but because that email was so long maybe i didn't want to read the whole thing uh and i missed my deliverable from my supervisor um, putting yourself out there, putting yourself out of your comfort zone, um, and and seeking help. You know, I I didn't figure this stuff out, just on my own, (laughs) um, unless it was through a mistake, and I was fortunate to have someone to correct me, but uh, the International Center uh, is working, you know, with our state leadership, with uh, leaders of many cities in our state, with businesses, uh and it looks a little different each time it's not uh there's not a prescription uh for everyone this is how you become culturally sensitive uh it is it depends what what's your issue what's the challenge you're facing is it you know hey we we do work in you know Japan we have some partners but we want to be the preferred partner how do we take it to the next level we can help with that if it is hey i'm here in indiana And I'm hiring a lot of uh, immigrants or refugees in my factory. And yeah, we all speak English, but we're having challenges because they're not talking to me. They're not giving me feedback. We can help with that. Uh, If it's, hey, I'm trying to attract global talent, and either they've never heard of Indiana, or if they have, it's not all positive, uh, we can help with that because we know that there's a thriving expat community here in our state, working for global and domestic companies here, uh, and we've helped with relocation assistance to ensure that their settling in process uh, equips them, not just to go to work every day, but to be successful in the community. Um, we're, We're prepared for, you know, things that go even beyond what we do today. We're able to bring expertise through expats that we know through other stakeholders we're not the expert on every culture uh, which is a relief because we that would be a lot of work Uh, but we happen to be connected to a lot of subject matter experts that we will pull in uh, and and when you work with a community that diverse and that large uh, what problem do you have we are ready to engage on it
0: so i i probably can't say this definitively but to our knowledge Uh, We don't know of of any Hoosier who has, by making a mistake uh, in dealing with an international culture, started a nuclear war uh, (laughs) through those mistakes. And so uh, the the bottom line is we're going to make mistakes. Uh, uh, It's a part of the learning process, but it's also there are resources through the International Center that can help take some of that that risk, that concern, that anxiety sort of uh, down to a more manageable level and that was really the purpose of having this conversation today so i've been talking with uh, ashley eason Uh, she is the vice president for programs and services for the international center so ashley thank you very much for spending time today
1: lee thank you it's been a pleasure and uh, i have heard this from others but i'm a hoosier now by choice And, and it's an honor and a pleasure to be in a state that is thinking globally Uh, And it, it sure makes every day a lot of fun. So thanks for inviting me to speak with you.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for being here. This has been IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. This podcast was powered by the Indiana Municipal Power Agency. Since 1983, IMPA has provided 61 municipal utilities in Indiana and Ohio with low-cost, reliable, and environmentally responsible power. Learn more about IMPA by visiting their website at impa.com and be sure to follow them on social media to stay in the know. This podcast is copyrighted 2019 by the Indiana Economic Development Association, which retains all rights to the content.